Hi, I'm Julia Merritt, and this is my podcast, Talking Life and Death, which aims to break down taboos around talking about death, dying and bereavement. In each episode, I invite friends, family and medical professionals to share their experiences with death. Stories about their loved ones and how they've managed the process of grief, the good and the bad, the sad and the uplifting. We also talk about how music plays a role in remembering and celebrating those we have lost. You can subscribe to my podcast wherever you listen to them, and if you wish, leave a message. I hope you've enjoyed the episode, and if you want to get in touch, you can find me on Twitter at death underscore talking or at talkinglifeanddeath.com. Thanks so much for listening. This is my first interview on my Talking Life and Death podcast, and I am really chuffed that you've uh, agreed uh, to come and talk to me. So this is Claire, my new friend yes. that I've met. Yeah. So we've known each other for, was it five, five years? Because yeah. I was trying to think about it, because our kids are in the same class mm-hmm. at school. So we've known each other sort of yeah, by the school gate, school, yeah. but more... I suppose in the last two years Definitely. that we've kind of got, got a connection. Yeah, yeah, I remember that first time seeing you outside the school gate, both having a pretty yeah. bad day. Like, <laughs> oh, should we go for a coffee? Okay, thank um, So, and that has been an amazing help. And I think mm-hmm. the first thing that sparked me thinking, oh, there's something in this, talking yeah. about uh, rubbish things. And um, so ever since then, it was really important to me to try and see if you would get involved. Yeah. And we obviously are talking about your mum mm-hmm. today and um I think the connection really was is that and I get I'm gonna get this wrong but did, I think she died was it about 10 days yeah so after after your friend so yeah. um mum was the 10th of September right so yeah so around, it was the end of August yeah okay so that's kind of how yeah. um our kind of connection started mm-hmm. so can you tell me a bit about your, like what was your relationship like yeah. with your mum and the kind of going back to the to beginning? beginning. So mum and I um, were very close. I would I would, well, would class her as my best friend. Um, she sort of growing up, the usual <laughs> mum, <laughs> daughter. Teenage angst. Yes, that type of thing. Yeah. I always like to think I was the better one comparison to my sibling. Of course, but, you know, of course. These things happen. And then my mum and dad got... Um, separated in my early teens and I think that was a quite a big turning point for our relationship because I'd always probably been a bit more of a daddy's girl and I wasn't really very happy with my dad so I think I then and I realized that my mum needed my help and then I think I sort of we sort of the the dynamic changed within our family I suppose because of their separation and consequent divorce and the circumstances around that um so I, I think I felt that I had to support my mom and then support my sibling as well. Yeah. And then um, I would say that's kind of where the friendship within our relationship started. That we probably were more and mm. more of an even keel. Looking back, like at the time, I didn't think that, but now and actually since her death, I've realised that that was a significant yeah. change in our relationship and how the family worked. Especially around your being a teenager as well, yeah. and all that sort of going on. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we're all a bit annoying, aren't we, as teenagers, and we think we know everything. But I th- I th- we got on pretty well. I'm sure I, I know I know each other on several occasions, but not too badly. Mm. Um, and then, you know, sort of went off to university and came back and then mm. went and lived with Nick and came mm. back and, um, and did all that sort of thing. But she's just always been there. And actually, you know, we lived in the same village, um, and we ended up buying a house just around the corner from my mum. And then when we needed, we're fortunate enough to move to a bigger house that was mm. still around the corner from my mum. Mm. So she's always been very integral within my life. Yeah. In probably a way, again, I didn't really appreciate until she had gone. Yeah. Because I thought, you know, mum's there, she's there yeah, all the course. time. And then when she's not there, yeah. it was like, oh, crikey, you were, you were quite, you are a major part of as a mum. But yeah, um, it, it feels different. So, I was very fortunate that um, mum gave me away at my wedding. Um, she did a speech at the wedding, which was an amazing speech. And yeah. um, it was a massive thing for her because she would never have spoken in public ever yeah. before or after. And I, I felt really proud of her for doing that. And I was, uh, 
I would look back now and think that was an amazing thing for us yeah. to have shared and really happy times because jumping ahead a bit that was probably the last big family event where there was no cancer in our lives right. as well so yeah. I think that's a another sort of poignant thing and then when um then she moved away for a little while back up north because that's where she was originally from to um to be with my stepdad and then um I had my daughter and then she moved home again to be back here when I was pregnant with twins and then she lived with us for the first three months wow um, did you was she always going to be planning to come back yes that was so she just rented out her even home though to, before she knew you were going to have the twins yeah. yeah okay and then that kind of pushed it mm. a bit sooner and then and John um retired to come back so he was back that was all part of the plan but I think yeah. probably having twins indicated. so she lived with us for three months and um, apart from going back up to up the north up to the north a few times yeah um yeah, and to the point that she would have her phone under her pillow. So if I was struggling with the boys in the night, I could ring her and she oh. would come and just get up and help. That's kind of how So you're really we like kind of hands on and yeah. like really integral to, well, not only yours, but yeah, the kids', the kids life life as well. And um, after um, they were born and I went back to work, we agreed that we would pay mum as our nanny. Obviously, mm. not nanny yeah, yeah. rates, but um, mates' rates. Well, <laughs> well there's got to be some benefits. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so she looked after them. I think it must have been doing three days a week then. Okay. And obviously then when she became ill, that, that all had to change. And that did have a, a detrimental effect mm. on our relationship for a period of time. But then I think she understood why. So, mm. um, yeah, so I would speak to her every day. I would probably see her nearly every day. Mm. When we found out about her terminal diagnosis, she was invited on holiday with us whether she chose to come or not was up to her but nine times out of ten she did come um and when she wasn't allowed to drive anymore we invited her to every single thing even if I was going to the supermarket I'd be like do you want to come to the supermarket mum just so she could get out of the house a bit more so yeah it was a she's so knitted into everything like the cogs were all there yeah so you talked that she had a terminal diagnosis Mm -hmm. but what did she did she had any sort of um treatment for cancer before yes. or was this so a... fitting into sort of where we are so after um I'm just trying to I, I can't quite remember the, the yeah, year specifically yeah. but um when I was pregnant with my daughter she was diagnosed with breast cancer mm-hmm. and and started off with a what have you got a lumpectomy yeah and then had to then something went dreadfully wrong with that bless her and then she had to go on and have a mastectomy yeah um and then chemotherapy and radiotherapy um so we used to skype because she was up in the north then so we'd be skyping mm. for like three hours at a time just you know with the baby that's <laughs> been really tough for you because if it was if she horrible. was like a baby and then your yeah. mother is so if you're so close and then she's like you know what four hours mm. plus away yeah. just to be even it must be really hard I think what was really hard just to add to the the pressures of giving birth as yeah. you know, it's quite, <laughs> not the most fun experience sorry people um but I had been in labor for a really really long time and I and um the day my daughter was born my mum was starting chemo the next day. Oh. So I can remember saying to the midwife, you, she has to be born today. Or I didn't know. It has to be born today because I didn't know yeah. where she was. Um, because my mum needs to get back up to the north to start her chemo yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. And again, talking about those photographs, so looking at my wedding photographs, it's like, oh, well, that, you know, that was a happy time. And then photos of my mum meeting her granddaughter for the first time was obviously an amazing experience but I always look and think and the next day you became a different person yeah yeah yeah. um so she she did that and you know cope really well the obviously when you've just had a baby hormones and big changes Mm, anyway mm. I can remember looking at my mum and talking to her on on Skype and um her just looking like she was going to die it was just thinking you're going to die and being quite um I don't want to use the word f- fake but our family's kind of go-to way of coping is to turn everything into a, a, something humorous and mm. have a laugh about mm. it um probably quite a defensive strategy now but 
um you know we'd have but it wasn't really funny anymore so we, we were sort of having a conversation and you could make a little bit of light-hearted humor but when she's trying to move to adjust her pillow and she can't even move and she has to sort of shout for John yeah and you can see the pain in her face as she was wincing to just have yeah. the cushions adjusted behind her that was hard and I can remember coming off Skype conversation and ringing my husband and crying. She's going, she's going to die. I just, yeah. I know she's going to die. She's going to die. She just looks like she's dying. And and obviously that is what chemotherapy does. Yeah, because sort of... it was. I guess it's because if you've never been through it, you don't yeah. know what to expect. Like no, anything, you see things on the television, mm. and and you know some things do paint a good picture. And obviously, you know, medicine has evolved a lot in that time because that would have been nine years ago. Right now, um, but it's still quite a shock mm. and then other things that were, were quite shocking we, we sort of when she was starting to feel better but she didn't have any hair was to go going out with her and mum chose that she, she didn't like the wigs she thought they looked stupid and to mm. be fair they didn't suit her she did look <laughs> stupid maybe you laughed about that <laughs> we did um she tried with the the bandanas and yeah. the scarves but they also made her head really hot mm. so she decided that she, if she didn't want to wear one, she was going to walk around bold, and mm. she was quite proud of it. And actually, at her like uh, sort of celebration of life service, one of the things that was spoken about by her friends were was the fact that she was a what they called a tea tart at the rugby club, and how um, she was bantering with the rugby players about how her head was more bald yeah. than some of theirs, <laughs> yeah. and, and very much accepted in that way. But um, going out shopping with her was quite a lot harder because obviously members of the public are quite shocked to see mm. you know someone in their because okay, you don't see yeah it. no and she was like a lady in her late 50s quite kind of, I wouldn't say glamorous but oh, not she's not a, put together yeah you know yeah. she wasn't kind she of like blonde locks and everything but yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she she liked to put an outfit together and yeah. have her nails done and that type of thing and so a, a, another time I can remember being in Toys R Us with my sister and her children and my sister being really upset because the lady serving us on the till could not stop staring at my mum she obviously just got sort of misguided and her brain couldn't stop and my sister was really upset and was sort of doing you say something say something I, thought, oh, I can't say anything but I thought maybe I should because my mum's coping with it but maybe someone who's more self-conscious wouldn't be and as we left I just said oh my mum's having chemotherapy that's why she hasn't got any hair and maybe next time speak to them about it rather than yeah. staring because it can make it's made my sister feel a bit uncomfortable and not in a patronizing or aggressive no, way honest yeah just honest, honest and she was like, oh sorry I didn't realize and I think that was the thing that she genuinely hadn't realized she was doing it and yeah I just needed to mention that because if you're a younger person that's having to go through something like that or even an older person who yeah. who is really self-conscious of that fact you know my mom said she was fine but you know, well, no, it, it was, hurt. yeah, mm. exactly. It's you know, when you can tell when someone's kind of looking, yeah. And... So you sort of become a lot more protective because obviously you're worried about them because they've gone through a very f- difficult time and you yeah. had seen them so poorly. And then yeah. when they're brave enough and strong enough to be able to go back out into the big yeah. wide world, then you're still coming across hurdles. And people might say, "Well, she should have put a hat on," or but if that's making her head itch because yeah, her hair's growing exactly. back, and you know, it's all personal choice. And it's sort of been, I was quite protective of her and of my sister. I think, well, you handled it amazingly. For you I don't know where that came from. Well, I'll take the credit for that. Because yeah. also, you're, so you're, is your sister younger? Yeah. yeah so she yeah. probably obviously... Yeah. You know, and you were probably protecting her as well as your mum. Yeah. Know, that's kind of not on. Yeah, it's just sort of making people think, again, and not in a, oh, you should never do that way, but just... No. It's like, it was a kind yeah. intervention, and you probably helped educate. That's what that I hoped. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was the kind of aim with that. But that's another thing I do remember is that... You know, being out and about and mm. you know the, the judgment following on from that she then I suppose I don't want to say got the all clear because now retrospectively even that was a lie um but she it was she was allegedly gone and there was the cancer there was mm. no other sign of it and then when they were back living with near us so that, what so was the time period between that was so let me think. So that probably went on. Oh, so my sister was supposed to get married in that April. Hold on. I could tell you this. So this, so that was 2011. She was having chemo. So my sister was supposed to get married that April, but because my mum was so poorly, yeah. they postponed it to the following September. And my mum's hair was just growing back then, I remember mm. from those photographs. Yeah. Um, so let's say 2012, we were sort of like, 
on the home stretch, yeah. we thought, for a bit. And then, we always wanted to be born in 2013, so then I would say 2014. Yeah. I remember my mum should have been coming around to have the kids so I'd go to work. Yeah. And which my stepdad knocked on the door. I was like, oh, why are you here? Yeah. And was, had they moved down by this yeah, point? Yeah. So they were down now. By the boy, I had three children by this point yeah. now. And um, he said, oh, your mum's had a funny turn. She'll be around in a bit, but she just wants me to be with her today. Right. And I remember thinking... That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. So my mum's an incredibly strong, independent woman. She had a, you know, a big chunk of life where she was just a single mum, mm-hmm. you know, cracking on and wouldn't ever want to be reliant on anybody. And that was kind of mm. a very odd thing to have heard. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. Thinking that's weird. So then I said, well, what, what funny term? What happened? So, of course, she was just a bit shaky. It was all very vague and odd. And I was yeah. like, okay. So then mum turned up. I was like, mum, what's going on? She went, oh, I just heard this. It was a bit shaky. I'll be fine. I said, well, maybe we should try and get you a doctor's appointment. You know, things don't really, nothing was making any sense. Yeah. Um, and it just felt wrong. Something felt wrong. And um, so Nick was still upset. So I said, went up to Nick and said, oh, you're working locally. So could you come back? If mum gets a doctor's appointment, yep, yeah, no problem, fine. As I came back down the stairs, mum was having a fit at the bottom of the <gasps> stairs. And when I say fit, it wasn't like an episode of casualty. Yeah. Basically, one side of her body was kind of uncontrollably moving yeah. um, in a very jerky way. It was bizarre. And she was trying to hold her arm still. I remember that. Just sat on the bottom step, bottom to a couple of steps. And... I said, what's happening? I said, is this your funny turn? And she said, yeah. And was really upset and said, I think I'm having a stroke. And I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I've got to call an ambulance. Ran into John with the kids. And I said, leave the kids there. Um, I'm calling an ambulance for mum. And he just went, okay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that was that. Shut the door. Called an ambulance. They were lovely on the phone. Told me to put her in the recovery position. Unfortunately, I just done my first aid at work. So I felt really confident that I was there. So I managed to do that bless her squashed in a teeny tiny hall on the wooden floor and it stopped and um then the ambulance came and they sat her up and they did all the you know the, the checks that mm, they do the mm. blood pressure and so on and the whole way through I just kept thinking something isn't right something isn't right and I think I've said to you before I thought to myself she's got a brain tumor and I don't know why or I haven't had anything like that since yeah but they said, we don't know why this has happened, but obviously we told, we did say about her history, because yeah. they do ask about medical yeah. history. And they said, oh, we should probably take you in for further checks. Yeah. You know, where do you want to go? This hospital, that hospital. So this hospital, please. And mum still was like, no, 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 because you've got to go to work. And you still carry on in like, oh, don't worry, I'll sort that out. And yeah. I remember ringing work and saying, oh, my mum's just been taken in an ambulance. I just need to sort out where I'm going to get the kids. And then I'll be into work. And my boss saying to me, would it be easier if someone just covered you and we go, oh, no, no, I reckon I can be in by break time. And why don't I just yeah. cover you? And I was like, oh, okay, yes, because you're just still carrying on in this. Yeah. Just get it sorted out and move yeah, on with yeah, life way. Yeah. Um, and so off mum went with John. And then I rang. And then we just, you know, did the preschool run. Yeah. Came back, did the preschool run again. And I can remember sitting with my friend and having some lunch with her because I hadn't really heard anything. I said, she's got a brain tumour, she's got a brain tumour. And um, my friend, who actually, her dad died from a brain tumour, said, no, 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 don't be so ridiculous, of course she hasn't got a brain tumour. You know, you're jumping the gun, you're jumping the gun, it might just be you know, epilepsy or whatever. So no, no, I'm sure. And then I had a message from John saying, consultant's just coming, we'll ring you afterwards. And then I heard nothing. I thought, oh, I know, I know this is what, like, what happened before. Yeah. Um, oh, my God, was that, were you just, I must have been pacing them. Oh, it was awful yeah. because they didn't come back. So they say it was just like lunchtime. I can remember, say it was like one thirty, say, or 1 o'clock, around that time. And then I can remember them pulling up on the drive about 5 o'clock. And I, they came in and I said, it's bad, isn't it? And they said, yes. So we went upstairs. And I remember we had the boys with us. I mean, it's just ridiculous to think about it. And we're in my room and the boys were running around. And I can, when mum told us she had breast cancer, she'd had to drive down like for four or five hours and I was seven months pregnant and my sister had just had a fit herself oh my God. <laughs> on the sideline there 
And so I remember saying to them then, oh my goodness, you're like my knights in shining armor because Laura's just had it. Yeah. La, 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 la. And, um, and I remember mum saying then that was the worst thing she's ever had to do is then come in and tell us that she had breast cancer. And I think I remember that. And again, maybe if we could ask her her side of the story, I don't know, yeah. same with John, but I can remember thinking, I just need to take this horrendous situation away from you. And I just said, is it a brain tumour? And she just nodded. And I was like, right, okay. Um, so you, is that almost the roles reversed yeah, that you needed to? I just need to, I don't want you to have to tell me because yeah. you said that was so hard to say it the first time. And then again, I was like, I just, do you want me to ring my sister? She said, yes, please. And that was really hard. I remember sitting in the garage, as you do, on an Ikea blue bag thing, <laughs> going, are you by yourself? No, I she was with a friend. I'm going to tell you something and it's going to be awful. Yeah. And she said, mum's got a brain tumour and she just screamed. It was just awful. Oh, Ooh, and even now it makes yeah. me well up because it was so, so horrible. And she was about an hour away. And then she was obviously angry that she hadn't, she was shouting at her friend to ring her husband. And then she, she was cross at me that I hadn't told her that whole day that that would have been going on. But what yeah. could, I didn't want her to worry because she does yeah. worry a lot. Yeah when I didn't have any news to share and I was finding it really hard yeah and I obviously didn't want to give her my uh, premonition that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that was it so after that again I don't really kind of remember the the way things happened I don't really remember exactly what month that was but I remember it was the May half term that she had surgery at the neuro- neurological hospital in London and they basically it was just again modern science yeah yeah amazing so they basically cut her head open from one ear over the top to another ear and opened it up and took the tumor off her brain and then stapled it all shut again um so my aunt came over from spain as as you do and helped look after the children with my stepdad and then um the May half term, I remember we went to see her, she couldn't really walk and she had like a bandaged head and I can remember her sending us a selfie and it's it's funny, again, I think I refer to photographs quite a lot yeah, but I sort yeah. of see them as like a timeline yeah, of yeah, where absolutely. we are and how things have changed and um, I remember thinking, oh, don't send me that. Like it just, it was just quite shocking. I think yeah. she's looked, I think, quite old, which she would have hated and which is again still very determined, still lots of humour. Um, you know, we stole her in order yeah. to take her down to Costa down the road. You yeah. know, and um, you know again, but realizing how also how lucky we were, and that the people in the beds around us are very some very young people, some older people who obviously couldn't move. You'd, ambulances were obviously being directed because people had massive head injuries. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, sort of, you know, really steep learning curve in mm. terms of life experiences. So she couldn't really walk, but then she had some physio and she could walk with a stick. Mm. And then she was home. So how long, how long was that after the surgery that she was able to... Quite quickly. And they were kind of, you know, I remember that being something that really scared her, which I understand definitely must have been terrifying not being mm. able to walk, but... They needed her to be able to walk up and down the stairs to get to go home. Yeah. And once she could do that, she was home. Um, and I can't, again, I, I can't remember a timeline, no. to be honest. A week, maybe less. It wasn't a huge amount of time she was in. Yeah. Um, and then off we went again to our new normal of a scan every three months. Okay, so she was still sort of in recovery. Yeah, so basically they classed... Um, they classed so sorry when she had the no hold on yeah when she had that diagnosis I'm trying to get my bearings on this now that was when was that then classed as terminal I think it was terminal then when so yeah because I mean that is that just having that word Mm. in the sort of out there yeah the metastatic was another word I metastatic cancer which I know I don't quite know yeah um is oh, no, I can't remember myself. It's when it's secondary, right? So secondary cancer that can't be cured. Okay. So this was palliative care that she was then so receiving. yeah. But they again they didn't really word it in that way. Right. It was so, and that's why I'm wondering if then that was the words that were used with the second brain tumor. <laughs> so 
that bit happened. Then we carried on. She had to have scans every three months, which were awful because you knew she was going for a scan. So she'd get a bit stressed with it before. And then you have to wait two weeks for the results. So you kind of had like a month of building up to the scan, then building up the results, and then you talk about this. It's called scanxiety or something. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's a term. Is it? It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So mum didn't like that. She struggled the needle. She had to have iodine some dye or something. Her needles were all shot from the chemo. So Mm. it was all a big palaver for her. But she got on with it. Um, And then we used to go every three months. And sometimes I'd go with them because of the sort of control. Nate, not as a controlling nature, but well, needing to understand. Well, and yeah. also the support for both of them. So I'd go in with a notebook yeah, yeah. and be like, right, so these are the questions. Because mm-hmm. obviously if you hear the news, I think mum would just be like, oh, God, it's back. Yeah. And and assume that's just how John must have felt as well. Yeah. Whereas I sort of would go in with a more, right, so what can we do about that? Pragmatic you know? approach, yes. yeah. And um, so it would come back and, again, over the three, it would be nothing, be fine. It was grown... Oh, no, so then there was a new one. But this one couldn't be operated on because the, the for the first one was kind of on the, the right. top of mum's brain, so that's why they could take it off. Yeah. But the next one was in the cerebellum, I think okay. you call it. So it's right. just kind of in the middle of your brain. Right. So that was what, a huge turning point. So they she could um, have something, which now I've forgotten what it's called, where basically you, it's like very intensive radiotherapy and she had to have a mask and made to fit her face and then the mask is screwed down oh, onto gosh. a bed, and then they put this really intensive, like millimeter precision. I will find out what the word is and let oh, you know. Oh um, To try and shrink it, that worked really well. And so then again, we're back every three months. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, it's grown. You know, zero point one millimeters. Oh, it's fine. Oh, it's grown three millimeters. Oh, it's fine. Um, and then it got to this point where that it was kind of sort of make or break that it's it grown mm. for a while and, and a similar thing to this other radiotherapy but one's done by I think radiologists and the other one's done by surgeons and so this one where basically you ha- you wear a kind of um like a, a frame yeah. around your head and it basically it's drilled not drilled oh. but pushed into your skull and then you have a scan with it oh do you know if you do it while you have a scan I think at this point I kind of didn't really care <laughs> I just wanted them to to fix it yeah and then they again do the intensive radiotherapy so by this point um so between mum being diagnosed with the first brain tumor and her dying was three years right. so That's, just to yeah. get that in yeah, a, yeah yeah and so it was the first brain tumor when we, we knew it was terminal so the, and the that was just before Christmas and just before she was getting married so it would have been before November and she hadn't wanted us to know and sadly, it came out um, in a way that wasn't very pleasant, but was good that it was out, if you see what I mean. Mm. So she, they got married. We had Christmas. And then and this, basically the prognosis was 50% of people die within the first year and the remaining 50 within five years. So I was quite chuffed. I think she, she so you, got bang yeah. in the middle. I, okay. a bit more, I, you know, I, I would take that. Um, and so... Hence, at the time I took at the beginning with all the, the holidays in between, that was the time where just any time to you know make memories, have fun, and just you know we, we always used to say whatever. Even if we were just popping to Sainsbury's, we'd have an adventure like something yeah. would happen. Like you know, I can't even think, think of an example. Um, so we we'll, going along. Um, this was then, say the June. Mm. And she had it done, and then um, it kind of all went a bit wrong from there. So she'd had the this the treatment of the name I can't remember, and um, that's a day you go in for the day to have it done and come back out. And I remember I went round to see her. And she said, oh, I'm struggling to move. But again, being mum, it was very, you wouldn't know anything was wrong. Mm. And then I went around the next day and she just sat and she said, oh, they told me I need to rest. Oh, okay. Do you, was she, do you think she was protecting you at Probably, all? Probably, yeah. yeah. I also think a lot of it was protecting John. But I think right. a lot of it was protecting herself. Mm. Just, you know, it's going to be all right. It's going to yeah. be all right. And I do look back now and think, I wonder when the point was that she knew. Yeah. Um, 
and I wonder if she did know at that point um so basically I think it was that the third day post the treatment um she wasn't able to kind of move around the house by herself she couldn't do anything and we have a, a shower in our downstairs bathroom mm. that you can just walk into so she'd mentioned that could she come around to do that because they have like a bath over the shower yeah, yeah. it'd be too hard because of her yeah. mobility yeah okay fine um and so this in itself was quite a big shock because although she'd come out of hospital you know sort of the two and a half years previously yeah. with a stick she had been able to walk but do everything by herself she may have used a stick if we we're going for a long walk just for yeah uh, confidence more than anything else and um so I think it must have been my day off and I rang her and said oh I'm just trying to drop the kids off then do you want to come around and I'll help you um, use the bathroom not really thinking I needed to actually help her mm. she went that'd be great and I said oh shall I come around and get you she went have you walked or have you driven to school so I said I'll just walk she went oh no no I'll get John to drop me off and I remember then thinking again that weird, oh, hold on, that's not making any sense. There's tiny little changes. Yeah, that, we're yeah. literally around the corner. Mm. It's sort of a 30-second walk. Why on earth do you need to be driven? And then the doorbell went, and she was literally stood sort of holding onto the door frame with John holding her behind. Uh, now, obviously, we're just to basically keep her upright and took the two of us to get her up one teeny tiny step into mm. the house sort of having to maneuver so her whole right side um no sorry her left side wasn't really working and I could we sort of popped her popped her sounds dreadful yeah. helped her into you know the front room sat on the sofa I said oh whiz up and get some towels for you I think we'll need a few more now yeah. sort of seeing this how kind of severe it actually was when she was not just sat down on her sofa smiling at me yeah and I, I was like, hold on, Mama, you know, I'll be back in a minute. And I could hear her crying. Oh. And I thought, oh, no. And then and John had gone. And he, she was like, he doesn't understand. I just, and something's wrong. And I was like, right, okay, don't worry. So I said, let's just have a shower. Because you always feel better after you've had yeah, a shower, don't yeah. you? So, um, you know, again, humour. It's like, Mum, I didn't think it would be this soon before I had to wash you. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to do some bits yourself. Yeah. So we established that she, if she held on to the sticky out bit of the shower, it would be fine. And um, Then she held on to me as well. And then when we came, she came out, we literally had to walk like, like a snail. I can't even describe it. The teeniest, tiniest steps with her, her, her hands on my shoulders and me sort of shuffling along. You, know, you do like pigeon steps yeah, as a child. Yeah. And it felt like it took us 20 minutes to get from literally the next one room to the next door yeah, room. Yeah. Sat down, I had to get her a drink and you know, she had to catch her breath. And I said at that point, this isn't right, Mum, I need to speak to the doctor. Yeah. I rang the GP and um, said, oh, you know, this is the situation. And we've been, John and I have been made, you can be about gold flagged people. So Okay, so uh, you sort of fast track through. Yeah, so, so I can explain. No, I basically yeah. say my mum has a terminal has terminal cancer mm-hmm. she's just had treatment um i'm her gold flag person i think it's gold or gold star something um i know i need to speak to doctor and they're they're amazing they said yeah we'll get Excellent. someone to ring you so it's all got stressed um again drove her home which again sounds utterly ridiculous even trying to get her into my car which is a bit higher up yeah her, it was just her, again we're laughing because you don't actually know what else to do like your leg will not move yeah your brain is telling your leg to move but there is no kind of connection there and i'm trying to move your leg for you but it won't bend because it doesn't know it's supposed to bend yeah it was yeah, just, yeah well quite funny but I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you do have to laugh don't you and then got her back home and then had to go and pick up the boys from nursery so basically having you know dropped off i would say that took two and a half hours wow. to, to do all that and then pick them up and i remember being in sainsbury's and the gp ringing and they were fantastic saying they were going to do um again sort of fast track 24 hour things somebody will be in contact so they would um it would be like physios occupational therapists social services was there someone else I think that was it and then that I sh- we should ring the neurology hospital where she'd have the treatment and explain and get an appointment so we did all that but then the next day we went to the neurology hospital and I went and John went and my mum and um it was again it was just that whole thing of trying to get her to move. And there's lots of people there who have also got sort of a head injury or a brain condition. Yeah. But trying to help someone through a doorway, for example, when 
you're trying to you need actually need to fit three adults through the doorway to ensure the middle person doesn't fall down yeah it's an impossibility you yeah. can't fit three people through a door particularly when there's cues in it. so you would have to sort of do a weird turning maneuver and all shuffle through so again where humor comes yeah, in yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and people a say conga. yeah people say <laughs> silly things like oh do you need a hand well what kind of yes but no and yeah. you know well you look like you've got a tricky position there yep yeah we have but we're all trying so shush <laughs> and um saw the neurologist man and loads of student doctors who were in there and basically they said that it was normal um and it was swelling because of the treatment but to stay for a scan just to double check mm-hmm. so I had to go back to get kids from school so I just got to train back kind of sort the kids and everything like keep normal life going at the same time yeah um and again you just kind of do it I mean now reflectively should I have done that or should I just said to someone please would you pick the kids up but again when there's three you feel a bit guilty and and also you're you're in you know you're making decisions on the the fly aren't you so we just you where the where the neurology hospital is you can just walk to St Pancras Mm. and yeah fine so did that um and they said that the scan had come back they were swelling it was fine but basically, um, it wasn't fine. Um, the people came, the, the emergency sort of response team, um, and, and they were great. So we had um, uh, like a Zimmer frame, yeah. you know. And so my mum was 63 by this point. So Zimmer frame for indoors, one for outdoors, um, a stick, these cushions on the thing. We bought her a one of those recline, rise and recline chairs yeah. that kind of lift yeah. you up and out. Um, but the kids love that yeah as they still do (laughs) (laughs) um but then there was little things whereby John was helping mum up the stairs and it just used to terrify me Mm. oh it's just an accident waiting to happen and I remember being upstairs with mum and saying mum I looked into it and I knew you could rent stair lifts Mm. you know mum was mum was a very proud woman and this is when I think she knew Mm. I said, Mum, it's really dangerous and I'm really worried that I'm going to come in one day and find you and John at the bottom of the stairs. You mm. know, I, I really can't cope with that. But we can rent a, a stair lift and la, 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 la. And we were still saying things, so, you know, when this, when you're better, you yeah. can take the stair lift away. Because at the time, we'd sort of been told that she, this would stop and it would mm. be okay. Yeah, and she agreed straight away. And I thought, oh, gosh, okay, things yeah. are bad. Um and then I, when I spoke to John about it, he was like, no, no, I can get her up safely. I'll just put my foot here. Mm. And I was like, yeah, but if it's she just It's not a reflection it, on him, is no, it? No, that's, that's what I was saying. But mm. it just takes one sort of, like, knee yeah. jerk from yeah. my mum who can't control one yeah. side of her body. So we got that fitted. Again, kids love, love that. Um, and again, she was just such a trooper. She just... She went to the Oval to watch cricket with all her friends and in minibus, took two grown men to get her in the minibus, but she did it, had a brilliant time. You know, the laughter that they shared going to the, the taking her to the disabled toilet. <laughs> she went away to Oxford to, for the weekend for a friend's birthday. Um, you know, just she carried on, yeah, you know, on and on. And then the we used to go around and do help her get dressed in the morning, you know, help her get washed, do her makeup. Was this all while you were still working? So um how are you? We must have been coming into the summer holidays now. I was gonna say, so you were able to work yeah. around that in yeah. terms of time off or Yeah. We must have been coming into the summer holidays. And I'm quite lucky because I finished a bit earlier. Yeah. So I think yeah, it did tie in quite nicely, to be honest. Yeah. If it's gonna happen at a time, then that's probably the best yeah. time. <laughs> um and you know during this time, the children were fully aware of what was happening. And we asked for advice. We saw um, mum was seeing, going to a day hospice. And she wasn't keen about that. This was before the treatment, um, just to get some advice and stuff. And we, are, we had asked for advice for the children. And I had somebody called, I think they just called a listener, okay who came around every week and just we just spoke because I spoke about how you know for for you for me okay how rubbish it was and how annoyed I was and what do I say to the children I don't know what to say to the children like how do I explain it yeah um had they asked you any questions about it or did they just take it in their stride that you know nanny's a bit they we were so I've always been a bit of a stickler for just being honest yeah um so that they knew that she was 
ill and as she became more ill towards the end other things started to come out like um my mum's bra I mean obviously getting dressed my daughter obviously realized that she only had one boob right and then she had used to have in the other one uh this kind of a prosthetic yeah prosthetic or, or kind of woolly type one and um like well you don't want to do it. I, I can't remember this was one of them could be a bit hot I think but stupid things like um and one of them just put it on their head and was like what's this <laughs> <laughs> and my mom just went oh that's my boob and she said well where's your other one and she said oh it got poorly so I had to have it cut off and it was just like a matter of fact yeah. thing. So I just put that one in so I don't look wonky. Yeah. And that was one of the things. She never wanted to look wonky with yeah. her boobs. So um, that's kind of how things... Well, the, as you say, it's just dealing with it in the moment. Yeah. Exactly. And I think when mum had had the, um, the treatment, and obviously the things started to change in the house, it, it was just more obvious. Mm. And the last day of term, obviously, we all go together, don't we, and have a mm. um, oh, that like escapade. Oh, I uh, love that. And um, I rang to see how she was, and she was upset. I said, what's happened? What's the matter? She said, I'm on the floor, and um, John's locked him at, himself out. Oh, and I was God. like, oh, my goodness. So fortunately got a lift, because we live in a lovely place, yeah, yeah. from a random person who yeah. I don't know, but a friend knew, yeah. who drove me there. And um, by which point, bless John, had climbed the garden wall to get into the back door because it was open because yeah, it was summer. Yeah. And um, which, again, because of that, we then had a key safe fitted. Yeah. Like little things happen that make you think, right, we need to rethink yeah. this now. Yeah. Um, and mum had one of those things around a, a button. button. Yeah. Mm. And then she also used to have her phone around her neck mm. as well. Um, and she was just in a real pickle bless her and again it was that thing about she just felt like she wasn't being heard I know we've spoke about that quite a lot mm. and it, for very different reasons she's like he's not hearing what I'm saying yeah. um and luckily a friend who's a physio had said put something below her so she only has like a little stool so she only has to get up a little bit so we took one um one elbow each one two three onto the stool and then I was able to get her pushy thing and yeah. we went up again and she sat down and the relief on her face mm. and then I went back to the to the kids like nothing had happened yeah um I think it was again that that thing like right something else has got to change now so you know the um the, the, the key safe the, the yeah. alarm pendant yeah the um friends having local friends having a, a key mm -hmm. or at least the key code for mm. the key safe um and then speaking again to the occupational therapist because if she falls down, she can't get up now because she yeah. can't get any footing. Yeah. So they sort of ordered this cushion, which actually I don't think she ever used in the end, but basically you'd wedge underneath and then it would inflate ah. and it sort of pushes do they, do them the up. paramedics use things like that? Do they? they? Yeah. yeah. So. so God, just, all these things. I know, it's all yeah. things. Like you just didn't even know. But maybe you, you can't almost it's overwhelming to introduce mm. them all at once but as you say as yeah. you progress I suppose so um and then it was the days another sort of pivotal day I mm. suppose was, was the children kind of knew that Nanji was poorly I think we'd said oh yeah so going back to the listener lady mm. we'd said I'd read um she recommended a book, which I would recommend as well, called The Secret Sea, which is aimed at children 5 to 12 years old. And it talks about cancer and about how everyone just whispers about it, which yeah. is so true. Like, oh, no, it's not the big C. Oh, no, yeah. oh, no. Um, and it talks about everything, about terminal, you know, not to, congenital, all that type of thing. Yeah. Treatments, what that means. And I read that book to um, my daughter, and it was like something had changed for her. It's like something she understood. And we'd always tried really hard to never talk about the fact that it was terminal or anything like that in front of the children. Yeah. But, you know, big ears. And mm. I was wondering if she had actually heard something. And now it was all sort of making a bit more sense. Yeah. And even now she talks about, oh, when you used to do Nancy's makeup and, you know, being part of it. And they were all part of it. And I, I, I have since reflected and thought, oh, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have done that. But at that time, in that mm. moment, that was the right thing to do. And that's but what it goes back to you, so you say about being honest. Yeah. And, you know, if you can't be honest with your children, that's exactly. the, what you sort of say. And, yeah. And I think their their capacity, probably, you know, I think we underestimate sometimes Definitely. what they can, and, they can and take. It just changed her. She just was far more helpful, far more positive. She, started, she understood. Um, and then, this must have, again, it must have been some holidays now. And the boys 
that had a play date, but only one of them. So I said, please could my other son stay with you because they've been because they're twins and were yeah, split yeah. into different classes and this was yeah. you know, for him to do it fine. Um and Georgina was going as well. So because the big sister was her friend, fine. And so I remember I dropped him off, all fine, came back, it was about midday. And mum was in her rise and recline lovely chair, but kind of yeah. looking slightly awkward. And I was like, you're right, mum, she went, oh, it's been a really difficult night. Um, no, this must be when I dropped off. It's been a really difficult night. I'm exhausted. But I'll tell you about it later. So I said, okay. Went back at 12 and then got him. And I knew I had to go back at three because the occupational therapist was coming around with a plumber to look at um, converting the bathroom into like a wet room. Okay, yeah. So I said, okay, go she was mum was like I'll go and get the kids some lunch and then I'll we'll chat about it later fine and now even now I remember thinking so um Ben said bye the other two were outside and when we get to the next point I remember thinking I never made them go in and say bye I never made them go in and say bye walked home did a lunch I remember she texted me and I was like oh mum because we were supposed to be going on holiday yeah and I said it's not opening she's like oh I'm just so tired I'll tell you about it later I said, okay and then I text her because I needed someone's email address and she didn't reply. I thinking, that's really weird. Yeah. She, because she had her phone yeah, on her neck for yeah. emergencies. And it was kind of her lifeline like, to everyone because she yeah. just obviously stuck at home all the yeah. time. And then I thought, that's weird. And we drove around because like, we were then going on to a friend's for tea and got the kids out of the car, walked down the path. And as I walked down the path, this lady came out who was the occupational therapist. And she said to me, who are you? So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm Claire, I'm Andrew's daughter. She said, do you know what's happening? So I was like, yeah, thinking I'm here oh. to have, to see the plumber with you. And she said, oh, um, Angela's unresponsive. We've called an ambulance. I'm going to go and get the defibrillator. Oh, my God. And I just remember standing there thinking exactly that. Oh, my God. Um, right. Again, what am I going to do to fix this? Off we go. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. got the kids back in the car. They'd obviously heard it all. I remember shaking. I could not do the seatbelt up for one of the boys. And, yeah. and then and bless them saying, Mom, your hand's really shaking. And we're oh. thinking, I know, I know it's really shaking. I know. Um, I think, what's happening? And then this, what does unresponsive mean? And I'll just never forget oh that. God. And I think I didn't really want to have to define what does unresponsive mean. So I said, unresponsive means that you're breathing, but you won't wake up. So it's like you're in a really deep sleep. You're still alive, but you won't wake up. You're, you're not responding. You were able to articulate that. Yeah. Oh and, and, I said, and then I remember I just drove, I mean, quite quickly. I looked back and I'm flying over those speed humps. Yeah, yeah. Um, went to Emma's. And so a bit early. And I, again, I can just picture it in my mind. She opened the door. And I remember that the dog, Poppy, was there. And I remember um, her daughter saying you know, come on, come on, there's a worm in the garden. Yeah. And her son's waving a lightsaber. Yeah. That's all really normal things. And yeah. her leaning forward to get her dog. And as she leaned forward, I leant into her ear and just said, my mum's unresponsive, they're called an ambulance. Um, and she just went, I'll see you when I see you. And even now, I just think, oh, you know, so lucky to have people that you just go, quick, quick, yeah. take my children. And uh Screeched back, and as I got to the bottom of the high street, a paramedic's car came past, and I kind of followed it, just thinking, I know where you're going, I know where you're going. And by which point, there was now um, a sort of a big paramedic four by four and an ambulance, and this paramedic car all outside my mum's house, and it's like we're basically blocking the road now. Yeah. So I sort of parked and I ran in, I was like, I've got a key. And the paramedic was like, Don't worry, the door's open. I went in and I just was poor. I think John was just looked in utter shock. The poor OT lady, she was a really young girl oh, in my gosh, mind, yeah. just was sort of stood there. To be brave, they didn't need to use that. Um, and my mum was just lying on that device on my client chair. And again, all I wanted to do was help. Like, what can I do to help? What can I? So speaking to the OT lady, like, oh, you don't need to stay now. You know, thank you ever so much. Let me take your number because I'm sure you want to know what's happened. You know, took Gosh. her number. You know, can I hold that the saline drip? Can I hold it? Can I can I take her shoes off because I don't think she's going to be really comfortable wearing her shoes. And she had to have her, her, her like pair of trainers on all the time to try and get more grip. Yeah. Can I just take those off because I just don't think you you know she's feeling poorly. I don't think she's going to feel very comfortable. Or they're trying to slide her off. So can I? Help? I must have been really, really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I 
just felt like I needed to do something. Yeah. What should we do with this defibrillator now? And they're like, oh, we, we need to take that. So basically, put her in, in the ambulance. So they didn't, they were preparing her. So I said, oh, I'll go ahead. And um, I have to bring my sister. Mm. So I remember driving. Um, I think I would have rung her husband first. So, you know, where is she? You know, this is happening. Okay, fine. I'm going to ring her now. Yeah, no problem. And I just rang her and said, um, oh, yeah, because he worked at the bottom of the garden. So he said, I'll just come up to get a cup of tea. Ring her now. I said, fine. And I was like, oh, I'm just ringing to tell you that I am going ahead to the hospital. The mum is coming in an ambulance behind and I think she's going to die. And she was like, okay. And again, we, we sort of, she got on her car. We were obviously luckily fortunate to be able to talk in the cars now yeah. aren't we and I can remember being on the motorway and it being at a standstill and hearing the sirens of her coming behind and just oh. literally thinking move please move out of the way that's my mum please move out of the way and um, obviously people do move out of the way but it just feels like it's taking forever yeah she went in or off ahead obviously and I'm queuing to, to come off and again the kind of humour and the normality of life that comes into it so that particular hospital is a nightmare to park in yeah I was like, oh, I can't park at A&E. Oh, I'll go along to maternity, see if I can park at maternity. And there was me, in, so my car's quite big, and a man in a truck, so similar to what Nick had, trying to park in this car park, which is absolutely teeny tiny. And our window's down. He said, you're, ne- you get, you're getting that space. I said, I've got in it, but I can't open my doors. He was like, you're going to have to jump out like Dukes of Hazard." <laughs> I was like, I can't knock it then. So I said, is, are you having a baby? He was like, yeah, yeah, my wife's in labour. He said, why are you having a baby? I was like, no, no, my mum's just coming in an ambulance. She was like, right, you needed the first space. Oh. And I can remember these two people left, and we both parked our cars, and obviously just both in a bit of a pickle with yeah. it all, and sort of just went, good luck, and oh. just ran in opposite directions. I still question now, like, wonder what he had, you know, what his wife yeah. had. Um, and then got to A&E and met the ambulance people there, and then went through. That was Talking Life and Death with me, Julia Merritt. Claire will continue to share her story about her mum in The Death of a Parent Part 2, which is on Episode 4. Thanks so much for listening.